Welcome to the backdrop, Untold Stories in Golf. I'm your host and co-founder of New Club Golf Society, Matt Considine. Donald Ross, you know the name, famed golf course architect who designed roughly 400 courses. Many of us are big fans of his work. We frequent the local Ross in our hometowns. We might seek out a Ross or two while traveling. But how many of us would make it our personal quest to play all of them? That's right. Every single Donald Ross golf course. Today, we welcome a man who did just that. Brad Beckin is the president of the Donald Ross Society and joins us today as a very special guest on The Backdrop. Today's episode of The Backdrop would not be possible without our friends and partners from Golf Blueprint, Journeyman Distillery, True Temper, and this May's NV5 Invitational. The NV5 Invitational presented by Old National Bank will return to the Glen Club in Glenview, Illinois on May 26th through 29th. This Corn Ferry Tour event features golf's future stars competing for a spot on the PGA Tour. I went out to this event a few years ago and watched a guy named Scotty Scheffler. He went on to win that week's event and now sits atop the World Golf Rankings. Will Zalatoris, Cameron Young, this is simply where you go to see who's coming next. All proceeds will benefit the Evans Scholars Foundation and deserving youth caddies. To purchase your tickets, volunteer, or find more information, visit nv5invitational.com. Without further ado, on to the show. Brad Beckin, welcome to The Bag Drop, sir. Thank you. I am uh, excited to have you on this morning. I have long been an admirer of Donald Ross and his golf courses, even before I knew who Donald Ross was or that I was playing Donald Ross golf courses from a very young age. I've, I've, uh, I've enjoyed it. I want to start off the, the hop with, um, with your introduction to Donald Ross. Um, when did you first meet the man, know the man, figuratively speaking, meet the man, uh, and, and introduced to his work? Well, the very first time I was introduced to it, I wasn't even a golfer. Um, early in my career, I had gone to a meeting of the North Carolina Bankers Association in Pinehurst. I was in my, I was maybe 23 or 24 at the time. And my boss at the time needed a fourth for his round on number two. And I tried to beg off, seeing as I didn't play golf. I said, no, no, you got to come and play. So I'm out there with sneakers and a rental set, not having a clue what I'm doing, and picking up my ball, you know, constantly so I don't hold everybody up for five or six hours. That was my first introduction to Ross. You you were probably less focused on the architecture on that time. (laughs) I was um, focusing on how... (laughs) much of a problem I was for the other three people in the group. So I, I, I read a little bit about you uh, before this in my prep, and I understand you grew up more of a tennis player. Is that correct? I did. I played tennis competitively growing up. Uh, really loved to surf. Uh, obviously did not play golf, um, but those were my main interests, you know, when I was. So wh- where did you grow up? Southern California. San Diego County. Yeah, the, the surfing was probably much cooler than golfing uh, in, in San Diego County growing up. Yeah, it never really occurred to me. I was, this is kind of 
silly, but I was, I was actually rather disdainful of golf at the time. I mean, it just never even really occurred to me to try to play it. And so it's, it sounds like about 23 years old, you, you finally uh, were forced into the game. But when did you really catch the golf bug? Because, you know, now, well, let's start there. When did you first really say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to saddle in here and, and play this game? I, um, I continued to live and work in New York. And then uh, in 1984, mid-80s, um, I was working for Goldman Sachs in New York, and then I was transferred to Los Angeles. And because I had so much business out there. And at the time, you know, I, companies I was doing business with, they'd want to play golf. And I'd, I'd try to beg off, say, no, no, you got to play. And so I ended up buying a set of clubs and again, you know, making it miserable for everybody else to have me along with them. I decided to be better off if I finally tried to learn to play a little bit. And that's kind of how I got into it. And then as I got into it, I really started to enjoy it and take it a lot more seriously. Um, were you, if I'm imagining, you know, he's getting started in the game at that age. You didn't immediately aspire to be the president of the Donald Ross Society. Um, so what was your, if you could give us kind of like your path through this game and was it architecture that really captured you uh, and said, I, I want to do it? Or, or was it first your pursuit of playing and getting better? What was it that really? It was, it was really more of the latter. I was, I was getting more interested in doing it, you know, ironically. And I used to complain to my father about it because he grew, his father was a very good golfer and he, my father played when he was younger, but he, he quit. And about coincident with us moving back to, or me moving back to Southern California. Um, I used to visit my parents who by then had been living in Newport, Rhode Island for quite a while. My father was a member of Newport Country Club. So I started that, to, you know, Ross worked on that course. So I started playing there quite a bit when I would visit him. And then of course I'm playing some of these courses in Southern California. I'm getting more and more interested in the game. The way I stumbled onto Ross is um, back in 1991, I ended up joining Los Angeles Country Club, where I'm still a member. And up to that point, I was mostly playing a few courses in Southern California, mostly LA, and then I played Newport, you know, when I visited my parents. And that was really about it. And then um, when I moved, my wife and I moved to Chapel Hill a number of years ago, it's back in the, uh, um, about 13 years ago now. Um, one of a good friend of mine from Los Angeles Country Club, he and his wife had come back to visit us in North Carolina. And while we were here, we were playing a, a local course that I had joined Chapel Hill Country Club. We we're gonna play some other places too. And the pro said, well, why don't you play Hope Valley? It's only a few miles away. It's a Donald Ross course in Durham. so. Uh, we went over and played there, and I, I think I've joined the wrong club locally <laughs> after playing there the first time. And I've since left Chapel Hill and joined Hope Valley, but at the time, you know, the, again, the pro Chapel Hill said, well, if you had so much fun there, 
there's a lot more Donald Ross courses in North Carolina. And I, that's, that's kind of how it got started. I just started playing one or two other courses. Uh, this is back in about 2010. And, uh, you know, I'd play one and set me up in another. And one of the nice things about golf in this area is in Los Angeles, there really is no reciprocity. I don't know if we happen to mention that when we spoke last time, but, you know, if you're a member of Bel Air and you want to play Riviera, you've got, you've got to find a member of Riviera to, to host you or Bel Air and so forth. Whereas here, you know, if you're a member of a private club, you, you know, as long as you're not trying to interfere with another you know, club's busiest time, like a Saturday morning, it's not that difficult to get on most other places as an unencompanied guest. So I was doing a lot of that. And um, I kept doing that. I, you know, ended up playing all the courses in North Carolina. Then I started playing the ones in Virginia and South Carolina, mostly day trips. And it was on one of my trips back to Los Angeles. I was seeing this friend of mine, the one I first played Hope Valley together with. And he says, well, you know, there's a Donald Ross Society. And, uh, I didn't know there was Donald, so I ended up joining that and uh, been a member ever since and, and then just kept playing his courses. Um, I finally finished playing them all. Um, I thought I'd finished playing them all about in 2017, and then um, there was a, a uh, the last course was one in Pennsylvania called Rolling Rock. And I was playing with a good friend of mine from Allegheny Country Club. Uh, yeah, that's a Ross course in Swickley near Pittsburgh. And anyway, he had arranged for us to play there. And at Rolling Rock, the first nine holes are Ross and the second nine are by another architect. So when we're finished, we're on the ninth hole, you know, I'm holding the pin flag. He takes a picture of me. And I thought I was done. Um, with all of Ross and having played all of Ross's courses that still exist in the U.S. and Canada. And then about, about a month later, a friend of mine sent me an article about a course in New Jersey um, called Raritan Valley Country Club that was established in 1912. Um, first, the work was originally done by H.H. Barker, but then they brought it in Ross a couple of years later to bunker the course. So I went and played that course the same year, and I thought I was done again. And then Chris Bowie published his book, The Life and Times of Donald Ross. And in there, he had identified 10 courses that Ross had worked on. Had never previously been on any Ross list, course list. So I played those in 2018. So um, again, I thought it was done. And as far as I know, I am done. <laughs> but the digitization of so much old media, refining courses that uh, I've played that have been on a Ross course list that have turned out to be the work of some other architect. And then, they're, you know, they're, again, we're finding courses that maybe Ross didn't design or redesign, but he actually did some work on. And what is that number, Brad, uh, of all, this, all Donald Ross courses you play? It's, it's right around 365. As I said, it, it moves around a little bit for a couple of reasons. You know, some have come off the list. Um, the other problem is, sadly, one we seem to lose one course or so a year. Um, it, um, yeah. you know, 
seems to be a golf course. I, I have a lot of questions about, you know, very rare that I talk to someone with that um, Rolodex of courses played. And so I have a lot of questions related to Ross and your, your favorites and some superlatives perhaps, but uh, I want to back up a second to your, your time um, playing most of your rounds. You said, as you were uh, really getting more into the game at LACC and Newport, do, do you think, do you find that uh, folks who, who begin their golfing lives on really architecturally stimulating golf courses. Uh, I mean, these, those are two classics regarded by, by so many that, that it already is a kind of a built-in appreciation for it. And you're, you're more in tune to go out and search more of it. I, th- I think that's part of it, but you know, as I was playing more and more courses too, I'd occasionally play modern courses and I wasn't necessarily thinking about it at the time, but it just after a while it occurred to me, I just wasn't enjoying them as much. Um, and that's particularly in the case of Donald Ross. That's one of the things that's I think has made his work hold up so well over time is that they're fun to play. It doesn't matter if you're a very good golfer or a mediocre golfer like I am or even a weaker golfer. You can have fun on the Donald Ross course. Or there are other courses I've played where fun is not a word I'd use. Um, you know, Ross, part of his genius, and he even says it in his book, you know, he gives every golfer at least two ways to play a particular hole. There's one way if you're a very good golfer that, you know, clearly you should be trying to hit your tee shots and second shots and fade, draw, whatever to, you know, achieve the best possible score. But then if you're not that good a golfer, you know, he, there are ways to play his courses, you know, he gives you plenty of room to aim away from trouble. You, know, you may not get on the green regulation, but, you know, maybe bogey is the worst you do. And that's part of the, as I said, the long-lasting appeal of his work. Yeah, it seems um, that we lost a little sight of of that and and his um i mean with so many examples out there i i often ask myself you know kind of people call it the dark ages of golf course architecture that a lot of those uh playability principles were were lost some strategy was was lost um with with ross having so many great examples how could we have lost the way is what i always ask myself how did people not see that and then kind of go this this route in the 50s 60s and kind of i guess you could argue bled into the 2000s but um yeah it just seems crazy to me because i feel the same thing you're describing but maybe that's just my subjective opinion i think one of the one of the things that happened that contributed to what you're talking about is if you remember uh, at Oakland Hills, um, you know, they, when they brought in Robert Trent Jones to redesign the course and to toughen it up. And at the time, the USGA was getting concerned because the scores at the US Open were getting too good and they weren't happy with it. So they brought, the, you know, he was brought in and he made a lot of changes to the course, you know, Ben Hogan and dubbed it the monster. And all of a sudden, I think, 
again, I wasn't old enough at the time to appreciate it, but or even playing golf but at the time, the measure of a good golf course was starting to become how hard it was, you know, you know, even though maybe only 1% of the members of the club had any chance of scoring well on a course like that or others that were going through the same thing. You know, that, as I said, that became the measure of how good a course was. And uh, I think we're getting away from that again. Um, and um, I hope so. It does feel, it does feel like we are. It feels like a no, new golden age in golf course architecture. Yeah, and, and, if, and if you look at Oakland Hills, you know, they recently reopened their south course. They, they restored Ross. They, they basically eliminated the work that was done by Robert Trent Jones and then by Reese Jones in the early 2000s. And now the course very much looks like the one that Donald Ross designed you know, over 100 years ago. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the, the restoration movement. I think uh, golf course architects that focus on restorations probably haven't been uh, as busy as they are now in, in the previous decades. And um, that has to be an exciting time for you and the Down Ross Society to see so many of these classic uh, courses being restored to their, to their prior glory. Is it, is it pretty cool to watch all these announcements come out that people are doing work now? It's, it's more than cool and more than exciting. It's extremely gratifying. The Ross Society was founded in 1989 by a group of members from Wampanoag Country Club, a Ross course in West Hartford, Connecticut, that were very upset about work that was done on the course, even though the club had all 18 of Ross's hole and green drawings. And and they were very upset about the changes that they were made and they took it upon themselves to sort of look around what was going on and realize a lot of changes were being made at not just on the Ross courses, but other classic golden age courses. And so the society was founded <clears throat> very much with the notion of preservation or restoration, of course, case of courses that had already been altered. And that was, about the same time that the restoration movement was really getting started in the United States. So the, the Donald Ross Society has had a very big part in that movement. Um, and you're right. I mean, to see what's going on today, you know, with places like Oakland Hills, like Oak Hill, like what Inverness has done to restore Ross to the cars is, is extremely gratifying. Um, and, you know, at this point, We've consulted on it for free. We do it all for free, um, over 120 course restorations. And it's still going on today. I mean, it's not, you know, not just prominent courses like those, but others are, are looking at doing the same thing. And it's, and again, it's very gratifying to see. Yeah. I, I um, when I learned that about the Ross Society, I was um, uh, honestly blown away that you guys have, have done uh, a charitable component for courses that may not have the big budgets of a, of a private club to um, push forward in restoration that you guys have done consulting and, uh, and done some charitable component, raise money and donate money to um, some municipalities, some, some public golf courses that are Ross. And, and so they can do a little version of, of restoration. Can you tell, tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, we do do that. We have a, a foundation, the Donald Ross Society Foundation, and that's really the vehicle, vehicle through which we make grants. It's not huge. Uh, there's a limit to how much we can do, but we give money mainly to municipal public courses just for the purposes you said. Sometimes you're looking at a restoration that's staged. You know, it happens over a period of time. You know, so, for example, um, Mill Creek in, uh, near Youngstown, Ohio, has been in the as two Donald Ross courses, and is in the middle of a multi-year restoration project. Uh, you know, involving both public and private money. We've given money to them four years in a row. Um, we, one of our biggest charities are the Tufts Archives, Pinehurst, where most of Donald Ross's drawings, records, photographs, et cetera, correspondence is housed and is used by architects looking to do work on his courses. You know, and we do give money to other municipalities too. We're involved in one right now with a project down in Florida. We donated some money to them to help to hire an architect to create a master plan for the course. And hopefully they will undertake a restoration project here soon. Is it Fort Myers? <laughs> uh, no, that's uh, that's already done a lot of work and they, they did excellent work on the course. It's, it's actually Dunedin Golf Course, um, just a little bit north of Clearwater. And at one point, the home of the PGA. <clears throat> well, what really? The home of the PGA was there. In fact, it's kind of funny, too, if you go in the clubhouse, one of the photos they have on the wall is of the first PGA merchandise show. And it's from, I think, 1955 or 1956. And the merchandise show, you know, which is now this enormous event in Orlando, but anyway, in this case, they had a bunch of tables set up out in the parking lot of the golf club, and that was the show. <laughs> Stuff stacked on the table. It looks a little different now with their forty thousand. Uh, uh, and it's a little different now. Yeah. Um, for the uh, did you mention the Tuft Archives? I have not had the pleasure, but I've I know friends and uh, members of our club that have been. How how would you describe that for folks that have have not been there? I I consider it an absolute must visit if you go to Piners to play golf. Uh, it's, it's, it's in the little town. It's in the given library, the back part of the library. But it's just kind of amazing what they've got there. In the way, of, this is at Hall drawings, um, Ross records, and so forth. Um, just amazing stuff. And is that where um, you, you'll get a lot of answers for questions that you may have on a particular golf course when doing consulting work? Yes, because they, I mean, they try to. Uh, you know, accumulate information on every Ross that they can, or a Ross course that they can, keep a folder on it. So let's say you're a member of a Ross club wherever, you know, and you're curious about some aspect of the course. That's one place where you go to try to find information, you know, whether or not they have Ross's whole drawings for that course, whether they have other information and so forth. The, um, uh, the, the, the Ross Society obviously is uh, dedicated to Donald Ross, but I, I am curious if you have any other favorite architects. Uh, being a member of LA Country Club for so long, I'm very biased towards George Thomas as well. 
who was a contemporary of Ross's, um, different in terms of the work that they did, but also a very good architect, outstanding architect. What, what for, for um, he's got some of my favorites as well. What, what do you think separates Ross from him? I mean, it, it, people kind of, uh, I think, always think of their own home Ross course because every town, for the most part, has one. And they think that was Ross's style. But what, what do you uh, think separated uh, Ross across all his work from, from other architects like George Thomas? The fact that he designed his courses you know, to really allow everybody to play. I mean, I wouldn't, some of Thomas's courses that I've played there, um, well, like LA, LA is North, of course. Um, it's, a, it's a hard course. It's a hard walk. Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh... I say it's not, it's, I wouldn't call it penal, in that, but anyway, but it's a, it's a challenge. As president of the Ross Society, can you tell us a little bit about what you do in that role? I, I'm I'm more curious than anything. I run New Club, obviously. I'm always, you know, see these other societies. I have so much admiration for uh, for the Ross Society. What what is it as president? Is kind of your your mission and your role? Well, we have several things going on. Um, our mission is to promote Donald Ross, the excellence of his architecture, architecture, and then the preservation and restoration of his courses. And to that end, we host a series of events a year, usually somewhere between four or five or even six, where we have a four-day outing or a two-day outing, introducing our members to Ross courses, to give our members a chance to play Ross courses they might not otherwise have a chance to play on and learn more about him and his work in the process. We have a historian network that um, um, now has over 300 members of it. Um, that functions as sort of an exchange for ideas and information. And then the ongoing efforts in restoration. We've got three projects right now that we're involved in in various stages. So um, that, that kind of thing seems to come up. I, I, I sort of get an email almost a couple of emails a week when people ask me about some aspect of Donald Ross or his courses. And then more recently, the uh, because Donald Ross was his busiest in the 1920s, a lot of his courses are coming up on their centennial anniversary. And we're trying to partake or participate in as many um, centennial anniversary celebrations as we can. They're taking place quite a bit. So I've been running around, you know, talking about Ross, um, talking to them, you know, club memberships about Ross and so forth. Coincident with whatever they're doing to celebrate, you know, the centennial anniversary of the club or the course. That's, that's, uh, that's wonderful. And how many, what's, what's the membership? Uh, we're right around 600 active, and then we have a few, like 100 or so people who kind of jump in and jump out. But it's right around. That's 600. fantastic. That's uh, it's it's only a hundred dollars a year, so we're not exactly an elitist organization. Well, you, you you might end up with a few more signups here after the after this one drops, uh, myself included. Uh, and I know we share some some members as is, um, a few who are members at some phenomenal 
uh, Ross courses. I, I want to get to this list of courses you've played because, again, it's so rare that someone has seen um, has seen this many golf courses, let alone golf courses built by one man. Uh, are, are you still? I, I, this is such a cliche question. I ask anybody that's played this many golf courses. You're still married, I hope, happily. She is she a golfer? I I I, I was happily married. Unfortunately, my wife died a little over a year ago, but uh, we were happily married up to that point. So. Um, and she um, she was great about it. Um, she did not. Although we traveled quite a bit earlier in our marriage, she and she got older, she didn't like traveling as much, and uh, she was um, forever saying, "Well, go on, you know, go ahead." Just you know, I didn't, I didn't go away for two or three weeks at a time as a rule. I traded four or five days, or maybe a week. That was the longest. And, um, but no, my wife was terrific about it, and um, she enjoyed golf a little, not a lot, but she enjoyed. She, she didn't enjoy playing a case. Takes a team, takes a team to, to <laughs> take on this conquest and, and see all the Ross courses. Um, were there, I'll start with the non-Ross courses because you, you mentioned some that have fallen off the list and, and I've even run into some that are, are uh, debated by whether the membership or um, folks who, who now have found more information and want to hold on to a Ross or they disprove that it is a Ross. Which is the one that you played where you could you were almost certain this was a Ross golf course, and then later find out it's not? Well, there's um, there's one a course called Panama City Golf Club down in Florida. I played, and you know, it had a real. I thought it felt like a Ross course when I played there. And then again, this is because of the digitization of so much media, old media. You know, you find out, you know. To our knowledge, Ross was never there. So um, anyway, that's one that came off the list. It's a little bit hard in some ways because so many of these courses were altered over time anyway. So if you didn't know the history of, 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 of who was there and, and whether it was Ross or not, but what else might have happened to that course along the way, you know, a lot of them got altered, not necessarily for the better. Uh, typically not for the better, but uh, or they just got tired. You know, that, particularly in the case of a lot of public and municipal courses, you know that the sad fact um, of the business that you know these courses all tend to sort of get everything gets flattened. You know the bunkers get flat, the tee boxes get flat, the, the greens get flat, and so forth. We had um, one of those restoration architects on the show, Tyler Ray. And I, one thing he mentioned to me was um, that there's so many people who have played a handful of Ross courses and they, they might see another Ross feature and they say, oh, well, Ross would never do his bunkers like that. Or Ross would, you know, never, never shape a green that way. And, uh, and he always chuckles because like yourself, I think he's seen the majority of Ross courses and he goes, you don't know what Ross would typically do. It depended on what time in his career he he tried different things. Would you agree with that? That there's not really one set way. I I, I agree completely. I know Tyler. Um, he does excellent work. He, um, but I agree with him completely. You know, 
on a couple of counts. One, you're right, his work evolved over time. You know, what he was doing in the 20s was, was different and better than what he was doing early on in career. And then as he got older, um, you know, I think the quality of his work tended to diminish somewhat. Um, there was also, um, you know, you have to take into account the nature of the project. You know, was he designing a municipal course? You know, or was he, had he been hired by someone like E.F. Hutton to design Seminole? You know, there are different, different budgets and different kind of results. The, the thing I like to point people to, because again, evolution, the changes to a course over time because of a green committee or what some succeeding architect has done, you know, I think class the picture. But if you go back to his drawings, and that's one of the, the great things about Ross, there's so many of his Ross drawings, of old and green drawings. You can see what he was doing. And you can see what he was doing in the teens and in the 20s and in the 30s, even though he wasn't real busy then. And then again in the 40s, you know, as, um, and, and you can look and see what he's done. And you can see the variety that you just mentioned. I mean, there's using words like always and never with Ross is not a good idea because I mean, he, he did so many different things that, um, you know, it, it seems like it's rare not to find some aspect of a golf course that he didn't try at least once. And I think a lot of it had to do with his, you know, he was very conscious about making his courses fit the property he was designing on. You know, he didn't have, a, you know, the luxury of, bulldozer and moving mountains of dirt he had to sort of make available with what was there so some of these superlatives i jotted down for you which was the the most playful ross course most playful i'm not sure what that means um cork i for me it's corky what's corky or or uh a sporting is another word i i come to it's um maybe not a, as as testing of a championship venue like an aeronomic but it's it's more um playful <laughs> well I, 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 okay um along those lines i'll give you a course um that i just had so much fun playing that's on a relatively quite flat piece of property it's called brunswick country club in georgia because the course is so flat, you know, he, you know, he definitely elevated his green and bunker complexes. And they were just, um, it was just wild trying to put on them. And that course had been restored by the uh, Davis Loves Company. And they had Ross's drawings and they built the greens back to what he designed. And that was just, that was so much fun. I'm just trying to play on those greens. There's not too much Ross in Georgia, I don't think. I mean, at least compared to other states. Um, there's, yeah, there's about a handful of courses. There's, a, there's another one that is a sort of similar experience, although they have excellent terrain for golf courses. It's called Athens Country Club, where the University of Georgia has played. One of the things I like about that is um, some courses end up softening their greens over time you know i don't know if it's because members get upset because the ball is breaking too much but at athens they've they, again they had a situation where they had a whole the green drawings and they've left them the way ross designed it even with contemporary green speeds 
and it is just wild. I mean, and the members there seem to love it. So good for them. I mean, it's you hit a ball on the green and this is enormous breaks and winding all over the place. And it's just it's it's really a lot of fun. Our our Atlanta chapter played their match play uh, finals at Athens last year, and uh, we saw multiple putts off greens. Well, they sped them up pretty good. It was um, what a place. Yeah. I did not know that. That's that's true. How did you have to pick that? Because that I, I would consider that first of all, it's just an absolutely outstanding golf course, but it's a little bit off the radar. I mean, that's um, you know, how did you yeah, have there's one of our earliest uh members is a member at, at Athens and said all good things. And I and I was and there's so few Ross in, in Georgia that we um at least in Chicago, we have plenty of Ross options and opportunities. So it felt right. And, uh, I, like you mentioned, I was blown away. I really, it's one of my, uh, one of my favorite Rosses I've played. What's, uh, what was the, oh boy, the most surprising Ross you've played. One that probably, there may be two that just completely, well, I'll give you one. Uh, I had heard about Glens Falls in New York, but had never played there until about six or seven years ago. And I played there and walked off and I was like, you gotta be kidding me. You know, anybody who has any interest in Ross, any interest in classical architecture or anything along those lines should absolutely play this course. It is extraordinary. Just Every hole, just absolutely extraordinary. And wh- where is Glen Falls? I, I'm not familiar. It's um, a little bit, that's not too far from Saratoga Springs. You know where that is? Maybe a half an hour north of Albany in New York. Um, just incredible property, incredible golf course, and just so much fun. What is the Ross course you'd if you had to play one Ross course for the rest of your life, which one would it be? Uh, well, the one I've probably played, if it, just in terms of even more than Hope Valley, than now that I'm a member, the one I probably played the most is Newport. And uh, I could play there every day. I love that place. Even though, and it's probably more of a Tillinghast course at this point than a, than a Ross course, but um, it's just uh, just in a wonderful spot, great walking course. Um, yeah, holes right on the ocean. It's just a, it's just great. How about a favorite uh, public access Ross course that you've played? What's your what, which one comes to mind? There's plenty, but yeah, there's plenty. I mean, I, I know. You know, I know you spend some time in Northeast Ohio. I think Manakiki is very nice. I really like the resort course, the Ross Resort course at French Lick in Indiana. And then uh, there's a public access course in Pennsylvania called Bedford Springs, which is terrific. Oh, great list. Um, Ross is regarded, many people mention routing when they talk about the great work of, of Ross. Is there a, a favorite routing you have or one that, that sticks with you? Absolutely. Seminole. I mean, this is just, I think that shows his genius maybe more than any of course, because I don't, I don't know if you've ever played there, 
but you know, most Florida clovises are quite flat. And in the case of Seminole, there's a large sand spine on the western edge of the property. And when Ross routed the course, you know, he did it in such a way that the club, which sits right on the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, you actually see the whole, the, the ocean from 12 of the holes. I mean, it's just brilliant what he did. Yeah. How about, so now let's get to your, your top five Roth, your, your Ross Pantheon. I, what, what, it's hard to rank anything, but I'm sure people have asked you to do this before. What's, uh, what are your, your five top Ross? I'd have to include Seminole and Glens Falls in there, that's for sure. Just, uh, they're just absolutely spectacular. There's a course in Western North Carolina called Highlands, which I think is fantastic. Um, and then Essex County Club in Massachusetts, Manchester by the sea. And then, I, and here again, this is a course where there's some debate about how much Ross was involved, but I think Whiteberry Yacht Club north of St. Paul, Minnesota is just a similar experience to Glens Falls. Maybe not quite as dramatic, but you know, when I played there, it was just, it was just so much fun. I, that's, uh, boy, you see that list and geographically spread, which is one thing I notice. And, and uh, quite a bit of land movement though, on each of those that you've selected. So you enjoy where there's a, a bit more, drama perhaps to the terrain yeah i mean i'm a sucker for the wow factor i like to call it so of course you've got a wow factor i'm probably influenced more than i should be <laughs> no, i i well the glen falls is the one that i'm now adding to my my list i have not heard much on it you, you gotta you, you gotta play it i mean they're and they've been you know Terrific to the Donald Ross Society. We had an event there a couple of years ago. Um, you know, it's very welcoming. It's just a wonderful place. And it's a very nice place to go in the summer, too. So. Well, Brad, this has been a delight. I got one last thing for you. It's our, uh, what we call the 19th soul. So we have, we do this with every guest on the show. Um, we've adapted 35 questions from Marcel Proust, the French novelist. Uh, and one of the most influential authors of the 20th century. His questions attempted to reveal the truest nature of an individual. Our questions attempt to reveal the soul of the golfer. So Brad Beckin, are you ready for the 19th soul? I will try to comply. <laughs> Intention is quick answer. A lot of these could be pretty deep and philosophical. We don't have time for that, but we'll just do a quick answer and have some fun. Number one, when and where were you the happiest as a golfer? Uh, that's a pretty easy one uh, at LA Country Club, mainly because, you know, I didn't, I didn't always have time to play 18 holes, you know, between a career and a family and whatever. But I used to, after work, love to go by, particularly in the summertime, hit a few balls at the range and then walk four or five holes. And I would do that three or four times a week at least. I just... It was just heavenly, you know, even though I wasn't playing a full round, it was just great. Number two, what's the scariest shot in golf? Uh, well, specific for me, um, we had an event at the Philadelphia Cricket Club a number of years ago. And one of their courses, they have three courses, one called the St. Martin's course. And your first tee shot is over a road. 
and it's not immediately in front of you either. And as I was getting ready to tee off, a car would go by and I'd wait and then I'd get ready to hit another one go by. And I was certain I was going to end up <laughs> bombing some car. <laughs> that was the most nerve wracking shot I've ever hit. Number three, what is your go-to order at the halfway house? Uh, very boring diet Coke. Number four, what is the trait you most deplore in your own golf game? Uh, my mediocrity. <laughs> Number five, what is the trait you most deplore in other people's golf games? Slow play. Good answer. Number six, what is the quality you most look for in a playing partner? The desire to have fun and joke around. I mean, the, the people I play with it the most, we're constantly talking and give, giving each other grief. And, you know, sometimes you get somebody who can't stand it when anyone's making a noise or moving or whatever. It's just, that's so annoying. Just, I don't, I don't like to play with those kind of people. It's not fun. Number seven, what words or phrases do you most overuse on the golf course? Uh, probably in the case of my own game, not again. <laughs> That's a great idea. I haven't had that one yet. Uh, number eight, what golfing talent would you most want to have? Um, distance, I'd say. I've got a decent short game. We all chase the long ball. Number nine, what is your most treasured golf possession? That's also pretty easy for me. I have extensively photographed every Ross course I've played or other classic course. And I enjoy going back and looking at photos I've taken over the years, including when I've played a course multiple times and I keep re-photographing it. What do you, uh, what do you shoot with? I'm curious. Uh, it's a Nikon. Um, I forget the model, you know, it's, it's, it's small enough so I can have it in a pocket and, you know, I'm, I'm conscious of not trying to slow up play. So I've gotten very good at, you know, shooting very quickly and I'm not, I'm not trying to take pictures. that will be so nice. They end up on a calendar or something like that. I'm trying to capture the architecture. Yeah. Of the whole. Yeah. Number 10, what's the one thing in your golf bag you should throw out? Uh, well, this is something I need to do periodically, but you know, when you go to a course, you grab some teas, you grab ball markers, maybe a ball mark repair, you know, you throw it in the bag and you go out and you keep doing that and you do it over and over again. And all of a sudden you realize you've got a couple of pounds of this crap bag that you just need to get rid of. Adds up quickly. Number 11, what is your favorite job or occupation in golf, uh, specifically at the golf course? Oh, job. Um, to be a member or a guest. <laughs> no job at all. <laughs> I don't want to work there. <laughs> Number 12. Have you ever asked another golfer for their autograph? Um, I have not. Number 13. What historical golf figure do you most relate to? Um, I don't really call him necessarily a historical golf figure, but I'm a huge admirer of Ronald Reagan. And who was a member of Los Angeles Country Club after he um, left the presidency. And 
because I work for a New York firm, most of the time I, when I play golf, it was in the afternoon. I very rarely played, very rarely in the morning, including even Saturday mornings. And I, as I said, I used to go to the range later in the afternoon and then maybe walk some holes. And I used to see him there at the driving range all the time. I talked to him for you, know, how are you, Mr. President? How are you doing? Nice day for golf, that kind of thing. And um, he was always very nice about it. But ironically, the first time, I didn't even realize it was him is at the range, hitting next to this guy at the range, and then behind us are these guys in black suits with sunglasses and their hands folded across their chest. And I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> and then I realized it was Reagan. But, um, he was very nice. You know, he was always very pleasant. And sadly, I also watched him sort of deteriorate over the years because he kept, you know, as he was getting sicker, he continued to come periodically. Number 14, what is your greatest golf regret, if you have one? Wish I took up the game sooner. Yeah. Number 15, what is your favorite golf book or movie? Well, the movie would probably be Caddyshack. The book is The Match. Uh, yeah. Wonderful. Really enjoyed. Wonderful read. And wonderful movie. You can't really not appreciate Caddyshack as a pantheon of golf in its own right number 16 once so this is a debatable question because many i'd, I'd say about 50 50 pre-question do you listen to music on the golf course i don't i don't care if others do but if I you had one song i mean i play i play with some people at hope valley that always have you know one of these um services going and it doesn't bother yeah. me at all but i it's it's a, a debate of our times for country clubs uh, far and wide, you know, people that like having some music out there and people don't. But uh, if you had one song to listen to either on your way to the golf course, on the golf course for the rest of your life, what song is it? Well, I noticed that question earlier and I was thinking about it. I think because of my age, I would go with shares if I could turn back time. Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful answer. Not really about golf, but uh, anyway, you get the drift. <laughs> when I, I love question, I love uh, we we have some fun with that question, and we create some playlists. and And I'll tell you, Brad, the the taste of golfers is is more wide than you might believe when it comes to music. Number seventeen. If you were to die, this is a philosophical one. If you were to die and come back as a golfer or even a golf thing, what do you think it would be? Or who it would be? It would be, I would hope it would be as a good club player. You know, I don't, again, like I wouldn't want to work at a golf course. I wouldn't want to have to make a living at golf. I'd rather just yeah. enjoy it. And number 18, our final question. If you had a motto, maybe you do, what would it be? Well, I don't, and I saw that and I have no clue. What? I don't have them. I have no clue what it would. Is, is there any? As a I'm open to suggestions. I, I, as a man who has seen a lot of, of golf courses and and seemingly lived a well well lived life, any wisdom you can bestow on our listeners? I think, as I said, this whole experience of starting to chase after all these frost courses and traveling and playing as much as I did, a lot of times. I would be by myself as an unaccompanied guest, but also a lot of times 
I'd end up getting paired with the members. I mean, it was just so much fun. I mean, I very rarely had a bad experience where, you know, I played someplace and I said, boy, am I glad that's over with. I mean, it's just, you know, you're always meeting people, having a good time. People enjoy the game, you know? And um, I think that, you know, I've, I've talked to my own sons about it. I said, trying to get them more interested in doing it. I said, it's just, it's just a fun thing to do, to just, you don't have to be as crazy about it as I ended up being. But, um, you know, and maybe in your own case, as you travel around because of your club, you know, and you meet people and you have a good time with people who like the game. And, you know, as I said, every once in a while, you get one of these people who can't stand it if there's any noise whatsoever, uh, even a car driving by or something like that, or if there's any movement, you know, just got to make sure you don't play with that person again. That is good wisdom to, to bestow. I, I One inspiration for us is overseas. And one um, big difference I always notice is it's very common to, whether within the club or intra-club matches, they're much more accustomed to uh, playing with new people. And, and I think a lot of that has to do with their, you know, baseline of golf appreciation. Everybody kind of grew up playing and knows a good bit, but, uh, but here, I, I think there's a tendency to get in our, um, our, our our normal clicks, if you will, or play with the same, you know, group on a Saturday morning, and it's it's much less rare over there. And, and I think it's something that more people should challenge themselves to do is is play play with other people. Well, I'll give you another example of that. We in our events, uh, we have a questionnaire when you're registering. We have a question that says, "Is there anybody in particular?" that you want to play with. Because sometimes we have people join, let's say you and your wife join, so you wanted to play with her at least once. So anyway, we try to accommodate. I always put down the same thing on, I put down new members of the Donald Ross Society. That's who I want to play with. So I'm going to have them play with. Oh, that's people. great. I just remembered one question I wanted to ask you while I have you. Uh, we're making a pilgrimage to Royal Dornick this year. And it's been on hiatus for last couple of years with everything going on. We've have to, had to push it back. Uh, I assume you've been, or well, you have been because, well, actually I shouldn't assume that. Have you been to Royal Dornick? I have not. I've been to Scotland, but I've never played golf there. That's uh, another regret. <laughs> There's still time. I've, you know, I've thought about, I mean, like you're talking about, I was looking at trying to do it sometime in the last couple of years and it's just, you know, one thing after another has gotten in the way. So. I, I, I'm definitely very curious in it myself about uh, just just the Ross courses I've played. And uh, my list isn't yours, but it's it's a good one. I, I, I love thinking about others' inspiration, people that create things in the world and where what they were looking at. Um, you know, I, I know him being there, it was where it started. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to getting there. Yeah, I mean, as I said, it's, it's a regret of mine. I mean, he, it's interesting you bring that up because one of the things I've talked about with people is how much exposure did Donald Ross have to other courses before he came to the United States in 1899. And, you know, we know, of course, he spent obviously a lot of time at Royal Darnock. He also, uh, to, uh, you know, apprenticed under old Tom Morris at St. Andrews and then at Carnoustie primarily in connection with their club making operations. So we know he saw those three courses, you know, 
we don't really know if we saw any others before he before he came over here. Interesting. Well, Brad, I really enjoyed this. Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, I hope to see you out on the on the road of Ross at some point. And uh, oh, if, if people want to look into Don Ross Society and learn more, where should where should we send them? Uh, if you go to the web, uh, the website is www.rosssociety.org. Fantastic. We have fun events. I mean, just to give you an idea, uh, just register an event we have upcoming in Tennessee at the end of May. Um, we're playing uh, Cherokee, which Tyler Ray has worked on, by the way, um, and Holston Hill in Knoxville and then of course called Ridgefields. Um, we have an event coming up in Toronto with two other golf societies. And in October, we're gonna be in Pittsburgh, the great lineup of courses. So um, that's not too far away for you, but we're playing um, Allegheny uh, Fox Chapel, which is actually a Seth Rayner course, uh, Green Oaks and Edgewood, um, three Rosses and a Seth Rayner. So. And we'll probably have an, another event or two, or one or two today in the meantime. Fantastic. Well, Brad, thanks again, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Today's episode of The Bag Drop was brought to you by our partners, Golf Blueprint, Journeyman Distillery, True Temper, and this May's NV5 Invitational. The MV5 Invitational presented by Old National Bank will return to the Glen Club in Glenview, Illinois on May 26th through 29th. To purchase tickets, volunteer, or find more information, visit nv5invitational.com. <laughs>